You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games. As long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hi everybody, Luke Hector here for another podcast episode that I'm actually recording slightly in advance because technically this is Friday the 9th of February and this won't release until Sunday but the problem is is that I'm visiting some friends in London for the weekend I won't get back until probably 7 o'clock in the evening and at that point I'll be playing stuff like Valheim and that online so I won't have time on Sunday to get the podcast out maybe I'll have time to like press go in terms of get the 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 episode uploaded to YouTube or something, but I'm not going to have time to record it. So I figured I'd take Friday evening to actually get it done. And, you know, this should be an easy episode to do anyway. But, yep, generally pretty good. I've, uh, you know, had the cleaner around today. She's done the house very nicely because I know it may be saying, come on, Luke, do you really need a cleaner? Trust me, I kind of do. I don't have a lot of time on my hands with doing the blog and sort of living alone and, you know, doing other bits and bobs social-wise. So having somebody who can come around on a monthly basis to do a spring clean of most of the house, not all of it, certainly not the game room and the study and that, but, you know, they can do the bathrooms, they can do the kitchen, they can do my bedroom, then, you know, perfect. It saves me the job and, you know, they're cheap as chips. So, it's you know, why not? You know, you got a bit of money, why not spend it on conveniences rather than, uh, you know, going out of the way? Uh, but other than that, I've finished work for the week. I've got my lovely still steaming coffee here. Decaf, of course, because I am pretty much 95% decaf. I'll occasionally have a caffeinated drink, I've decided, in the future if I must. But for the most part, if I can have a decaf alternative, I will. And if I have to have caffeinated drinks, which could be a tablet for the cold, which I have had a cold for the last week, but um, I think I've gotten over the worst of it now, so it should be all right. Um, just a bit of a... Uh, Sticky throat, I guess. Not painful throat, but, you know, mucusy throat. You know what it's like after you finish over a cold? Um, but also, you know, the fact that, you know, it, maybe I'll have a Pepsi Max or something. They've got, like, caffeine in it or something. But, you know, small amounts. I certainly am not drinking six cups of coffee anymore. Although, well, I say not six cups of coffee. Six cups of caffeinated coffee. Because I've still got a whole cafetiere of here over the... How do you pronounce it? Cafetiere? It's something like that. But I've still got half one of those filled up with decaf coffee as well. Because you can't just make one one mug. You can't make more than one mug, surely. Hopefully it will stay warm long enough. But the idea is, is that this episode is to talk about a recent retreat I did. But first, uh, let's uh, have a quick look at the... The dashboard, so yeah, 22542 subscribers. This is still climbing quite nicely, actually. So thank you for everybody who has recently subscribed. I very much appreciate it. I've had some very nice comments on some videos lately, actually, for people who have said, you know, love what you do, love the honesty, and this is why I've subbed. You know, stuff like that. That's very much appreciated. So I do thank you for that. I'll certainly respond to everybody who says that kind of stuff. But uh, content-wise, um, the top 100 is almost done. I have literally just aired the 20 to 11 uh, segment of the top 100. So that is uh, going strong, hopefully. And hopefully you'll enjoy the games I've put on there. The top 10 has been recorded. It just needs to be edited, which it will be done. And hopefully in time, it should be in time for next Friday to air properly. So, you know, we are getting, you, you are going to see the end of the top 100 very soon, like less than a week from now. Uh, yeah, because you'll get this on Sunday. So 
yeah, in a few days, you will get the final 10 games that made my top 100. And there's some considerations in that video about what to do for next year. So I'd like to get your thoughts, but uh, more on that in the video itself. Other than that, though, I've done a couple of reviews for Age of Rome, which is a, a sort of Kickstarter game that was at Essen. I didn't get a chance to try it there. They gave me a review copy. I have given it a review. It's kind of a weird sort of, it's an abstract sort of Euro mini game type thing, a bit like what Trajan had in before, except that the districts you build on rotate around this board and so the district you're working on in one round might not be the one you're working on in the next round it's a interesting little gimmick the question is is it any good and then i've also done the review on mythwind mythwind is a recent kickstarter that's fulfilling which similar to lands of galzier is essentially trying to be a game that you just play endlessly there's no big there's no like plot conflict end or anything like that you simply just play the game have a bit of a cozy time and just do what you like now i really like lands of galzier but spoiler alert mythwind didn't quite work as well for me however you might be thinking well what's the difference between the two check out the review i go into a lot of detail as to what the differences are and why one works for me and one one doesn't so that will be an interesting one i hope for some of you but yeah, not much other content since the last one because I mean I've, you know, when was that? January the twenty eighth. So, I mean I, I mean I've had HandyCon to deal with. I had my mum's seventieth, and then last weekend I was in Iceland. You know, which is the promise of this uh, episode. And then this Saturday and Sunday I'm in London. So I've got a free weekend next weekend. So yay, I actually have a free weekend. However, straight after that free weekend, on the Tuesday, I go to the Netherlands on a cruise for five nights. So <laughs> I'm slightly away from a fair bit of Jan and Feb compared to what I would like, but at least you will get the top 100 finished before I go, and hopefully you'll even get another top 10. Um, I wouldn't mind doing one. Possibly even a couple of live uh, episodes, um, because I want to do my top 10 anticipated games for the year, but, you know, that's a hard one to do with the table in front of me and stuff, because I don't have the games in front of me, and all you can get is pictures and what I can remember about the games, because I don't have a huge amount of information on them, so I figured it might be better just to do a live top 10 where I do it on screen like I do with this podcast, and just show the games off on BGG while just while just having a nice little chat with the you know with anyone who's viewing so I think that might work better for my anticipated games list um I also want to do some other top 10s on top but then I've also asked the Patreons to do um if I could do a rather interesting top 10 soon and that is top 10 regrets now when I say regrets I don't mean top 10 regrets is in oh I bought this board game and it was trash you know disappointments no I mean regrets of con content I've created and regret because not a lot of people talk about the content that they produce and it's something that I do like to stipulate that yes I am just some bloke who is on YouTube talking about board games so it is you know I do like to actually give a little bit of insight as to what how I do things why I do things like this and whether there's anything I would improve now, I can think easily, uh, as I was doing my notes, of at least 10 different either forms of content, types of content, or games where I've done a video and regretted doing it. Now, this could be content that I thought would work and just didn't. Uh, this could be something that was just bad quality and it's like, ah, oh, yeah, why did I put that out? Uh, it could be that I didn't put up a video and I really should have, that kind of thing. Uh, but it could also be that I rated the game too low compared to what I think it should be and or too high compared to what I think it should be and yeah I'm not gonna lie there's more examples of the latter than the former on that one you know where I 
did a review it was a long time ago and my rating since then would have dropped like quite quickly so it's like ah yeah why did i review it at that rating you know let's just say i was probably a bit more lenient back in those days you know compared to now I mean, you think i was a, uh, you know i'm tough now maybe I was, I was tough a little bit back then but maybe not tough enough in some cases so you know there are a few of those where i've like yeah, maybe I would have done things differently. And so I thought it might be interesting to do a live top 10 where I go into that kind of detail. You know, that, that would be interesting. And if I do them live, it means I haven't got to do a lot of pre-prep. So I can just do those while also doing other like review content. Because I don't have many games to review. I've only got a review last light. And I think that's it. I don't think I've got any other review copies specifically. Although I do need to play the um, War of the Ring card game expansion at some point. Because I realized that they gave me a review copy to do the solo expansion review. And I still haven't played it since uh, Essence. So it's like, oh yeah, I better actually do that at some point. But also, I've also got games of the Fox Experiment and, La and uh, Dune Uprising. That I wasn't certain if I was going to do a video or not. I thought maybe I'll do them in the podcast. But... I don't know, they're quite big games. I think doing them in the podcast might be wasteful on the game itself. So if I want to do reviews for those, they'll probably be quickish reviews, but I still probably need to do an actual video for them. So yeah, I got some ideas of what's to come, but thankfully there's not a lot of new, new games being released at the moment. Oh yeah, Wormspan. Yes, I will do a review of that pretty dang quick. Although at the moment, I'm still waiting for the wretched thing to arrive. You know, some people have already had the game, and I suspect it's mostly US and European or something, but in the UK, I'm still waiting for my copy that, you know, a very kind viewer has ordered for me, like, on my behalf, you know, as a Stonemaier champion. So I kind of, like, really need to get a copy of that game and start giving it the beans solo and multiplayer. It won't take me very long to give it the beans because I've got interested parties already wanting to play it, and, of course, I can play it solo in no time at all. But, man, yeah, that is a review I need to crank out quick, and I would really like to get it out before I go on the cruise. So it really, ideally, needs to arrive this weekend, or at the very latest, early next week, like Tuesday or so, so that I've got enough time at uh, different game clubs and at home, and people have time to come around on the weekend and stuff like that, for me to get that review out. Because I really do want to review Wormsban before too many people start going goo goo gaga, you know, waiting for it. And it's like, you know, let me find out for certain whether it's uh, good or bad, or whether the differences are meaningful or whatever. Because, like I say, I, I think the fans are already out in spades for it. So we shall see how things go but yeah there's a lot of ideas and but thank you for watching and thank you for you know giving your support as always mm. oh that's a very nice decaf coffee i get my de I, I vary where i get my coffee from suppliers wise at the moment i've done quite a few from a coffee link um yeah, because I did have like I have that meeple coffee one, but because I've quit caffeine, they've only got one decaf coffee available, so I've I've already drunk all of that. So until I get some more of that from them, I kind of have to make do with other suppliers. So Coffee Link is where I've got a few of mine at the moment, and yeah, they do do some nice decaf coffees. But you know, meeple coffee, who you know I have uh, talked about on the show, and you know talked about what sort of stuff they do. They do do some nice caffeinated coffees. So if you're not like me and having to quit caffeine, by all means, check out some of their stuff. They are nice coffees. So anyway, let's uh, get on with the show. So what exactly have I been doing? And yep, this is going to be interesting because I'm going to talk about two games that are new that I haven't played. So like from the convention itself, but a little bit of background. So I have a friend called Hilmar that you have seen on my channel a couple of times already for a live top 10 and a SM for the blog. Um, I went to Midgard, uh, which he helped me go to back in September. 
And I've already talked about Midgard on the previous podcast, so that's already a thing. But literally out of the blue, probably about a week or so before I actually went, he talked to me about a convention. Well, a, a convention, a convention is probably not the right word, but basically I call it an Icelandic game retreat. It was a hotel retreat in a small hotel in a very remote town. It or village, I'm not sure. It's Iceland. There's not a lot of people in it um, in that particular town, regardless. And it was a small place. It was only about like 50 odd people it was for. Like it's a small thing, but he arranges it himself, gets people that he knows to come along. So there's a lot of like friendly people and just effectively rents out the hotel room people can stay overnight they can do food um he brings a he brings a bunch of games over which you know sets up a pretty half decent library um i've got a picture i'll show you a little later and it's just basically a nice get together but he invited me up as a guest why he does that i don't know but it's like i don't deserve that kind of treatment but you know he invited me up and i figured you know what as much as i haven't had a spare weekend in ages and would certainly could use one i just like going to iceland and i like playing games so the two together i just figured why not you know especially as the last time i went to iceland it was september so it was mostly sort of like you know lava plains and you could see the green you could see the like the big mountains and the uh, the, ge- the geysers and stuff like that but this time i was going in february so it was extremely cold but I like cold I much prefer cold to um, boiling hot and well outside of a shower or bath anyway but the the idea was that I thought okay I get to see Iceland in sort of two guises and they do say that you should see Iceland in both uh, scenarios but I'll show some pictures of that but the first thing I want to mention is the uh, convention itself uh, as to its name because I call it the Icelandic Game Retreat and I'll bet any amount of money that Hilmar is probably listening to this podcast right now waiting for me to try and pronounce the name of his little uh, event and the you know and the was it at, at the hotel that we're at I may decide to do that for you in a minute Icelandic is not the easiest uh, thing in the world however I thought about that <laughs> And I've got a little bit of a, a little cheat there. So I am going to, uh, I've got my Facebook tab shared here so I can share audio. He sent me the pronunciation over Facebook Messenger. So hopefully this will come through. If this is a bit loud, I do apologize. But this is what the name of the con and the hotel is. All right. So listen up. Spilavin au Hotel Polsvedli. Just in case you didn't hear that, let me try again. Spilavin au Hotel Volsvetli. Spilavin au Hotel Volsvetli. <laughs> I mean, that's the best I can do for pronunciation. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I figured like he sent me a sound file with the pronunciation. So it's like you do realize I can actually put this on on here and actually have it play out. So just in case my pronunciation sucks, you just got the official one from him. So you, know, you can get the idea from there. But let's actually go and share the other screens that I'm doing, i.e. the ones with the photos on, because that would probably be more useful to people. Here we go. So, basically, uh, is this good enough? Yep, that's good enough. So, this is the game library, effectively, which, uh, you know, people bought their own games as well. But this is effectively what we had. And as you can see, there's quite a few newish titles on there. You know, he's got quite a few here. And obviously, if you can't... 
see this because you're listening, um, I'll fire a few off. Uh, Marrakesh, Thunder Road Vendetta, Deal with the Devil, Dale of Merchants, Scholars of the South Tigris, Books of Time, Rats of Wistar, which I didn't actually get to play. I probably should have tried at that point because I needed to actually try it. Wayfarers of South Tigris, Planet Unknown, Atua, Underwater Cities, uh, Kanban EV, Coffee Traders, uh, Ark Nova, uh, Expeditions, uh, Anak- Anun- Anunaki, is that what you call it? Voidfall was there. Hegemony was there. Um, Nemesis was there. Uh, you know, Ceres was there. Heat was there. Uh, what else we got there? Come on. Evacuation. Keyflower. Root. Altiplano. Uh, Wood, Woodcraft, Zolkin, Talton, Brussels, 1890, who gives the monkeys the game is so boring. Uh, Last Will, Ultimate Railroads, Great Western Trail, all of the Great Western Trails. Um, so, Nucleum, yeah, there's a lot of games there that are both like oldish and new, but they are some popular Euro games here. And yeah, there were some light games there as well, but yeah, I think for the most part, they were sort of mid to heavyish Euros. But yeah, there was quite a decent amount here. I obviously didn't take any games along. I relied entirely on what was on this shelf. And believe me, it was more than enough to keep me occupied for a weekend. And I didn't even stay for the full weekend. I had to come back for work annoyingly and didn't have any holiday spare. So I could have been there for another most of a day but I had to leave about Sunday midday I had to head back to the airport well I say head back to the airport Hilmar's uh, fiance very kindly drove me all the way there and that's a two and a bit hour journey to get to the airport and then another 45 minutes to get back to their house so you know thank you very much for the lift that was very much appreciated and this time I came back with no food poisoning nay no food poisoning this time I didn't eat any fish um, I ate something else, which I'll get onto later. But uh, I was thinking, yes, I've had a smooth transition back from Iceland. This is great. Until I had a puncture after the M25 at home. Yes, I can't seem to go on holiday without something bad happening to me. I am just blessed with so much bad luck, it seems, that something has to go wrong whenever I go away anywhere and it doesn't matter how remote the chances are, it will happen. I haven't had a punctured tire for like years and years and years. And I get it now after I come back from Iceland. Come on. That is that's literally somebody up there, you know, looking down and going, right, how can I tick Luke off today? You know, not ideal. But you know, that said, didn't spoil the rest of the trip because that was England doing that to me in the M25. Iceland did everything it needed to, which was entertain me greatly. So just to give an idea of Iceland, uh, let's see if I can find, I want to find, if I can, the uh, that particular photos of the area. So that's that, that's snowy bit. Let's see if I can find some snow bits. Uh, yeah, so this is a typical, like, um sunrise <laughs> when it comes to iceland everything is snow yeah it, you want unbroken snow paradises you go to iceland in like february time and the temperature ranged anywhere between minus six and minus 12 it doesn't you don't notice it's that cold when you stand outside though yes it's cold but compared to being cold in the uk you don't notice it as much because there's not as much wind over there so you're standing out in the cold, but you don't feel the wind chill. And so after a hot shower, when I had to wear, a, I stupidly took a long sleeve top on. I was boiling. Standing outside actually felt quite refreshing. Um, but trying to find out. So yeah, here we go. So this is the typical kind of thing you see. Uh, <laughs> nice, big, fat mountain with sheer white on it. You know, just pure white. Um, I've even got some, you know, video footage here, which... You know, that might be coming through the microphone, I don't know, but the sound should not be coming through 
the podcast bit. And yeah, you just look around and it is nothing but, you know, nothing but white. Nothing but white. I mean, look at this. It's just umbro. It's just pure white snow. You want you want something to look like Christmas, and you come to Iceland. That's basically the deal, you know. And I I find snowy landscapes beautiful. It's kind of like the way I like to, you know, experience things. Um, I mentioned something I ate there. See this little picture here. This is a picture of some very delicious meat with some sweet potato fries and some roasted vegetables, and uh, had a nice glass of red wine with it as well. Some Cabernet Sauvignon. It was very nice, and red wine goes with this particularly well. But essentially, what you see here in a picture is horse. Yeah, I ate horse. Apparently, horse is easier and cheaper to acquire in Iceland than beef and cattle. So, you know, cow beef is a bit more expensive than even around here. I mean, everything's expensive in Iceland for anybody from Britain. But, you know, even more so, beef is pretty rare over there. No, no pun intended. Um, so... The menu had horse meat, and he told me that horse steak was yeah horse steak was particularly nice. And given that the last time I had a steak was in uh, well I had a steak the other day, but the uh, the last proper one I had was in London with my dad, uh, where we had Wagyu beef, which is currently my top rated steak. You know, you want the best steak, Wagyu beef is the way to go. But I tried this one, and it actually tastes pretty nice. I mean, I know some of you might be going ape. Certainly my sister-in-law went ape when I told her I ate horse, you know. <laughs> but, you know, at the end of the day, we eat animals. It's just the way we are. But, it, you know, horse is actually kind of just like chewy beef. Um, you know, it was cut up into pieces. It was very tender. Um, and it tasted basically just like tender beef, but a little bit more chewy, I would guess. So, you know, honestly, it was a perfectly nice meat. But that was a nice little meal. Anyway, we're not here to talk about uh, the sights of Iceland, per se, and, you know, a cookery class. <clears throat> so why don't we actually get on with the point and talk about some games. So, uh, in terms of games played, well, there was certainly quite a few. So, let me load up a few. Here we go. Scholars of the South Tigris uh, featured. So, you know, I taught that one. You know, people were interested to see how it was like. It's fresh on my mind because I've been teaching it a lot lately, actually, because of the you know the fact that it's a recent release and not everybody has had a game of it. Uh, we played the casual game because there is literally no reason to play the epic game. Literally, the epic game, I've played it. All it does is add more time. It adds more time and you can score higher. That's it. That's all it does. It doesn't really add any extra enjoyment to the game. And if you play epic mode with four players, you're going to be there for ages. There's just... No need. Casual game gives you a good length midweight euro, and that's what I want. Suffice to say, uh, one of the players was not able to <laughs> do as well as they would like, but I think I was playing the um, Envoy, so yeah, I'm teaching the game and I've played it several more times. Of course I'm going to win the game, but you know, the Scholar didn't do too badly, you know, close on my heels. But yeah, that was a good little game. It was interesting, though, because we struggled to get things translated for a while, so we had to get victory points elsewhere. Uh, Heat. Heat was another good one, so... We played the Italia map, and I taught five new players this, so we had a full count of six. I think this is on the second lap that we've got here, or maybe the third lap. Suffice to say, yellow's a, a bit at the back not doing as well. And it is one flaw with heat. If, you get, if you're too far back uh, by about the halfway mark, it's very difficult to pull it back, especially if you're back by quite a distance. But... You know, this was a good fun game. It was very tense and, uh, you know, the ch positions kept chopping and changing. And by the end, it was literally down to three of us, including myself, for the last bit. And I think it was literally like a space or two where it like came down to like, 
we were literally neck and neck and it came down to how far we got past the line so it was a good tense finish and you'll notice that i used the snowy weather there because i figured we're in iceland so why don't we actually use the snowy icy weather so cool down was a lot easier to do particularly as i put the uh, the cool down tile on the massive long straight so people were going pretty reckless with their heat exchange because they knew they could cool down lots but nap this was a good fun one as well earth of course somebody wanted to be taught earth earth's a great game why would i not want to uh, teach earth and so yeah this one was a very close win actually we'll get onto the score packs i think i took a photo of it but you know as you can see here i think i went quite heavily into blue for the most part uh, with an with an ounce of yellow but i was and in fact i couldn't even choose the yellow action because i played a card for it but i was definitely trying to use blue as often as possible because i could gener generate cubes so fast that it was easy to spend them for soil and you know these trees are particularly good for victory points and you know had a, had a pretty good time i did very well on the objectives as well so stuff like trying to find uh things like starfish and uh deer and whatever you know like various and turkey you know names of animals in the flowers and stuff so this was a good fun game look at the scores 208 112 207 yeah we literally finished with a point to spare and i've had tiebreakers with this before i've had several games where it's been done by a point or you know we finished on the same number of points for a game that you can have a ton of points in it's surprisingly how close you can be but yeah man i to win it by a point that was close and i mean we did fairly different things but we were kind of balanced throughout i mean uh, i think it was a young lady that did it and she was a lot better at the personal objectives and the public objectives than i was as you can see our score was like what like 44 points there and i scored 21 so i didn't do very well on those because i kind of ignored them but i was able to make up for that with you know doing well on some other aspects like overall and particularly the trees she only had two trees i had 20 sorry two points i had 20 and then i was kind of doing better than her on a few other things like i i did um i did very well on the objectives front so yeah we were close that was a close game and a good fun one at that uh Ark Nova! Of course I can't go to a convention without playing Ark Nova. I mean, seriously. Although, on that note, somebody did play Hegemony there. They played a four-player teaching game where even the person teaching it was new to the game. Suffice to say, I bowed out at that one. And this is probably the first con I've been to in a long time where I didn't play a game of Hegemony. I know, shock horror, right? Sacrilege. But uh, a four-player teaching game where the person teaching doesn't know the game and even then I didn't there was no spare slot for me and I thought yeah, maybe this is not the best idea for a two-day convention in Iceland I thought uh, and maybe not but you know hegemony got played voidfall didn't just saying uh but the Ark Nova here so what was this one uh yes uh people they'd already played the game before uh, but they were maybe a little hazy on some rules, so I just retaught some of it. But they, this was with the expansion, the Marine Worlds one. I've already done a video on how good Marine Worlds is, so by all means, check it out. And this was quite a fun game. I think I won fairly convincingly with a high, with a high appeal uh, method. Because what was I using here? I was using the Silver Lake, but I started in a weird place and actually went to the Silver Lake quite late because I really wanted certain X tokens on the other side to do certain actions early, you know, so I, I made that decision. But I think I went, is this the game I went fairly high in the pavilions? No, that's a different game. Um, this one, I think, was a fairly general game. I went mostly for small animals. Uh, um, what was my objective? I think my objective was 
oh, my objective was to have more of certain animals icons to the player to my right, because the other one they had was a bad one that I wasn't doing very well on. Uh, science symbols, yeah, and I wasn't getting a lot of those. But here, you know, I've got a lot of si I got a lot of animal icons more than the person to my right, but Sea Dwellers was a focus, so I built some very early aquariums and got a, quite a few sea creatures and made good use of the Reef Dweller effects, so I was getting quite a lot of bonuses from them. But this was a good fun game. I mean, it's not often that I've gone... I think this is the first time I've gone this heavy into the aquariums. Because either I can't find the cards, or I just think, eh, I'm doing something else at the moment. But this time, there was a conservation project for it, and you know, they wanted sea dwellers, so I grabbed the university ASAP and started looking for fishies. And yeah, it worked out quite well. I don't think there was much else I was doing that was particularly interesting. You know, some normal sponsors, uh, you know flipping of certain cards. I mean, this was to prove a point. I didn't flip my build card until quite late in the game, and by that point I was already about finishing. And I didn't flip my association card at all, even though it was one of the bo it was one of the non-basic cards that I started the game with. You know, I made use of its ability. You can see there I've got two copies of Asia on the partner zoos, which normally you can't do. You can with this association, and it certainly helped me get the Asia conservation project easier. But yeah, some people think that you have to go heavy into association to do well. Like, it's like, oh, all the green points you get and all the stuff you get with it is, like, so much better. And it's like, well, I didn't flip it at all. And I only really touched association to get my universities and a couple of partners who's late in the game. So uh, I don't think it's entirely true. I mean, you can even look at the left-hand side of my board there. I unlocked all the income bonuses because we were triggering quite a few breaks. I never even took the uh, token off that unlocks another worker. So I only got one other worker, and that was from Reputation. So, you know, you don't have to go heavy into Association to win this game. Just saying. But, yep, always good fun. Love a bit of Ark Nova. Uh, we'll get on to this one a little bit later, because this is one of the other ones I want to talk about. Uh, Dale's a Merchant. Uh, yes. Cool, blimey, it's been a while since I got this one off the table. In fact, saying that, this was the first time in a while I'd played it. But in the... Uh, since then, I've played another game of it, so it's been good to get Dale of Merchants off the shelf. And this one, the deck builder from Snowdale Designs, with all the animal folk all, in all the sets, I've got the collection. I mean, the collection was there. This isn't my copy, but you know, I was able to go right. Let's pick some relatively straightforward animal folk and just have a bit of a laugh, teach the game, and they all enjoyed it. Uh, particularly as we had the raccoons as part of the uh, set, so people were doing a little bit of a uh, stealing from each other. We had the cat, so somebody could enjoy like a bit of dice rolling chaos, you know, uh, which was quite funny. I, there's one card in the cat one where you hold the card up to somebody, you tell them to guess its value, and if they can guess it, then tough. But if they don't, you can choose its value. And I was expecting to use it as an easy way to build a stack. Held the card up nice and comfortably, it was a two, and he guessed two. And it's like, damn you. <laughs> so I got a bit of a reaction, but yeah, of all the time, the one time I used the card, he guesses right. It's like, how dare you? But this was a good fun laugh, and did I even, I don't think I even won this, I think the person to my left won it just, because I was ready to build, I mean, as you can see here, I've taken a picture where I've got two acorns in my hand, um, oh no, this is early, this is, I've only built my fifth stack, but suffice to say, by the time we got to my eighth stack, I was literally on my next turn going to win, and then the other person won, the race was close, but... Man, Dale of Merchants is a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to their Peacemaker one that he's doing, the reprint, because I never played the old version, so I'm really keen to see what this new one is. Uh, what else we got? Uh, that, Great Western Trail. I will talk about that momentarily. Uh, Kanban! Kanban EV. This was the last game I played on the Sunday morning, and uh, 
Did I play this on the Sunday morning? No, I played this on the Saturday evening. This was the last game I played on the Saturday evening. And, oh, alongside Long Shot the Dice Game. And yeah, I do love Kanban, although playing it at 9, 10 o'clock at night and trying to teach it to three new players of varying ability levels and APness and trying to concentrate on your own game is very difficult indeed. I mean, I was really getting tired by this point. So I think in the future I won't be playing Lacerda games at night time. I think that's just a bad idea. But this was a good fun laugh. Kanban is still a fantastic uh, Lacerda Euro. It's easily his best Lacerda Euro. There is no contest on that front. And everybody doing different things. I mean, I took a while before I could even get any cars because, annoyingly, I had two people pretty much do everything that I was trying to do and dick me over for it. So I was fighting an uphill battle. I did eventually win just like literally a few points in it so but i had to get my points from elsewhere i mean i was doing a quite a few upgrade designs so i scored a fair few of those so once i did get some cars i had a lot of tested designs to go for did all right in the meetings but i was getting quite a few points during the game um as well as for some end game stuff so yeah only one just but i think the upgrades and the tested designs and the, st the student training helped me out a lot but cool blimey yeah Trying to teach this at night time is probably not a good idea. Uh, long shot the dice game. So, yep, certainly, uh, you know, played that one. And this one, again, I did straight after Kanban. It was almost midnight and I decided to teach uh, some people how to play long shot. And I really should have gone to bed. But I said, all right, I'll teach you it and then I'll go to bed. And then I just figured, sod it, sat down and just played it and maybe that was a mistake because I was really tired and I'm obviously teaching a game when you are tired is not something I recommend because when you're tired little things start irking you and it could be AP it could be making a mistake in the game or it could be having to repeat yourself particularly if you have to repeat yourself with things that you've explained already that you think people should have got by now it's fine when you're teaching a game normally when you do it when you're tired though it's quite hard to sort of keep a straight face sometimes so I really probably should have gone to bed but this was a good laugh I think only I won it by two bucks I think literally only two bucks it was a very uh tight game this one and there was a lot of me forcing the, the number six horse to not win because you can see I've made a good bet on it but the thing was was that somebody else owned the horse and a lot of people had bet heavily on six so if I wanted to stand any chance of winning I had to let somebody else's number eight horse finish first and then let my own free horse uh, come in you know second so that I would get some points there and and make sure in the six one tanked so that they didn't get loads more points and certainly the person who owned six wasn't too happy that i was constantly basically screwing over a horse but i had to i had no other choice and the game was dragging on a little bit because the horses that i wanted weren't rolling the ties to finish so it was uh, some mean tactical play there but it paid off otherwise i wouldn't have actually managed to uh, win it all right uh, that's the snowy thing so not much there and finally, uh, Wayfarers of the South Tigris. I think this is the last one before I talk about other ones. Wayfarers, love this one. In fact, spoiler alert, if you've been watching the 20 to 11 video yet for my top 100, you'll have seen this appear because this is my favorite Garfield game. And I played this on the Sunday morning. So literally as the game finished, I scored up and had to leave. So had to leave them to pack it up, which, you know, I apologize, but they were happy with it. But 
oh man, I love this game. This is just the collecting of the cards. I focused heavily on C, as you can see there. I've got like eight C things in front of me there, along with some various planets, a moon, um, you know, just the comets, just so that I could get across the uh, board. I did do a, in order to make certain I finished by 12 o'clock, I did do a rush. I mean, I taught this game from scratch to two other players, and these aren't the quickest players ever, and, you know, finished the game in less than, in two hours. It's pretty good going. Now, I did slightly rush the end game journal thing. I mean, it was only a couple of turns ago I was where that yellow piece was, you know, several columns behind. But yeah, I had a bit at the end where I had the black influence and had the means to get across, you know, criteria. So I was using it and trying to get across as fast as possible. But uh, yeah, this was just another good fun game as well. And, um, you know, I always enjoy nice bit of Wayfarers, all those options, all those different like paths to victory you can take. And it just worked out quite nicely i think i focused quite a lot on the blues so blue guild provisions and coins you know income phase you know i was getting quite a lot of stuff there you know trying to get boat symbols it, it did quite well for me this one but this was a good fun game nonetheless okay a little fade out there because i had to refill my coffee not to mention uh you know well actually refill my coffee for the most part and just take a little breather but yeah, now let's talk about the two games that I played at the Icelandic Game Retreat, as I shall call it, that weren't uh, that weren't games that I played before, although one of them is slightly similar, you'll see. But this is one that I've been meaning to play for so long. Oh my word, have I wanted to play this game, because I keep hearing the Dice Tower go on and on and on about it, and I've seen it played occasionally. It's like, look, at some point I want to try it. This is called Trekking Through History. And I've never played any of the trekking through whatever game. So this is like my first entry into it. And this is a very straightforward game. I mean, literally all you do in this is you essentially have... In fact, let me go back to the photo. So you've got these time markers on this track here. And basically you play through three years. And in these years, it's one of those games where the person at the back makes the next move. And you're collecting cards in order to put these tokens on your little chart thing here... And you get the cards, they give you specific tokens, and they also have a time value on them. So you move your time marker across, and obviously whoever's at the back or on top of somebody is technically at the back. You're hopefully trying to finish exactly at 12, because you get some bonus points for being punctual. But essentially, yeah, it's just basically a set collection game. But what you're also trying to do is get uh, your cards in chronological order in terms of their year, because they score more points the longer you can keep it going. There's even negatives if you don't do it very long. And that's pretty much it. You rinse and repeat for three years. You can get these tokens to reduce the time value of cards, these little crystal shards. But that's basically it. The game is that, nothing else. I mean, they weren't kidding when they said that this was a simple game. I mean, it's rank 648, uh, as if ranking matters. Weight 1.76. And again, it's a useless statistic on BGG, but it is a light game. So this is a non-gamer game for the most part. And it's okay. Yeah, I was kind of expecting a bit more from this. I was really sort of thinking, right, this is going to be one of those games that I'm going to recommend to all families and I'm going to get it myself and play it lots as a introductory game. I can definitely say it's a light family game and I think I can see where some people are going to enjoy this. But this is a game that doesn't scale well at all. I can see um, spouses playing this. I can see a two players, like a gamer and their spouse playing this a lot maybe families where you've got a parent and two kids or two parents and one kid or something playing it as a free player i don't think this game worked very well as a four player 
it it was far too chaotic because the game doesn't scale with the cards that are available you can't buy off the decks so you've only got five cards to buy and you are really stressed to try and get a the tokens you need b the time value that's efficient and c keep your cards in a chronological order but the problem is is that when you've got four of you, you might as well take a coffee break between turns because the cards that are there are not going to be anything like the ones you saw before. And so it just sort of comes down to a bit of blind luck as to whether you can do the chronological aspect or even just get the card that you particularly want. Now, it's simple. And you do have some nice like flavor text on the back of these cards, which is quite nice if you want to actually learn about it. And it is a looker. I mean, it's not the best components ever but it's got a tray it's got some little plastic tokens and the artwork is beautiful i mean it is really nice artwork on these cards so it's certainly a nice pretty game but i don't like i would not play this with four players ever again i would possibly play it with three and i'll certainly play it with two because i thought it was all right you know the game is all right and certainly i think two player is the way to play you know you want to have a good tactical decision over those cards but the one thing I'm a little bit mm, on is this chronological order thing here. So the, the idea that if you only get one card in a set, it's minus three, and then two, three, four, all the way up to 11. I don't know how you're supposed to get 11 cards in a set in a three, four player game. That just seems impossible. But, you know, you can get a lot of points. And, you know, you don't score too high in this game. So those points can add up to quite a bit. But... A lot of the times you may just take a card and it will be good in sequence and then by the time it gets round to you, the cards that are on display do not suit your time sequence at all. Well, it's like, well, how do I know what's coming out of the deck? It's not like I, you know, you've got a reference for what years are in that particular year, but there's no way you're peering at that in a, fa in a family game all the time. And even then, yeah, it's okay to say that there's at least 10 cards that, you know, go above this date, so I should be all right, but you know, are those 10 cards going to come out of the deck? I don't know. They might not do. They might be all at the bottom of the deck for you, know. So it's meant to be a simple family game, and it's meant to be just a, you know, a random sort of luck fest in the sense. You know, it's it's a fairly random game that anybody can play. But still, having that sort of punishing nature with the randomness of the chronological order, that just sort of irked me a bit. But that's that's my one flaw of the game. The main, well, two flaws. One, the player scaling is not good up to four players. And the chronological order of time cards, I think, is just too random. Other than that, though, it's well produced. It's very simple. There's still some, you know, tension between turns. And, you know, it is cool to try and, you know, get the tokens on your card. And there are different cards that you can do. I swear some are more easier to do than others. But, you know, it's a, like, family game. Who cares? Good reference cards. Very simple rules. So... I mean, somebody here has got like, yeah, here we go, like 10, 11 cards in a row. I guarantee you, you try doing that in a four-player game, it ain't going to happen. So, in fact, how does this work anyway? Because he's got age one and age two cards here. Doesn't the thing, doesn't it wipe at the end of each age? I don't know. It's kind of weird. But, you know, suffice to say, it just wasn't really... Yeah, it, the game is fine. I just didn't really go mad for it. You know, people had been saying that this was like a really, really great family game. It's an okay family game. I'd probably give it a 6 out of 10. It's fine. It's above average. It just... I, I, I think I went in with quite high expectations and came out just feeling kind of... Yeah, it's fine. You know, nothing major. To put it in the top 100 of all time, though, like several did in the Dice Tower, I'm like, no, I would not put this anywhere near a top 100. It's an okay family game, and that's about it. All right, the main event. People are probably losing their minds at the moment because I recently bought, and I am not joking, I bought 
and I can show you the proof here, a Great Western Trail game. New Zealand. Yes, I actually, with some vouchers, so I could get the game for free effectively, but bought a Great Western Trail game for the collection. You're probably wondering what the hell is going on, because I used to hate Great Western Trail with a passion, and to be honest, I still do hate the first edition of Great Western Trail with a fair passion. It's like, oh god, this is not a good game. You know, but I always have been saying lately that I'm going to try games I didn't like before, because it was probably a good six, seven years when that got released ages ago, probably even longer than that. And I thought, I will try it again. Somebody teach me the game, and I'll try it again. I saw my friends playing the New Zealand version, and I figured I'll play the New Zealand version. And I actually enjoyed the game. And I've actually enjoyed it more in the subsequent times I've played it. I played it in Iceland. Um, no, I didn't play it in Iceland. I've played it a couple of, I played it at HandyCon and with the mates in our own time. So New Zealand is the one that I think is the best of the Great Western Trails. Now, granted, it's taken, what, a whole second edition and two other iterations to actually get the one that I say is the great one. So... It took a while, but that's what second editions are meant to do. They are meant to fix problems with the first edition of a game and, you know, improve it. So I think it did. New Zealand is more open. There's four characters, not three. They're all balanced quite well in terms of uh, doing well, like, points-wise. And it, there was just more options. I felt like there was more options in that game. It wasn't so constricted. And so New Zealand is definitely my factor. But my mate said... Play Great Western Trail with Race to the North, and that's specifically what this is. So, you know, it's not just simply <clears throat> Great Western Trail here. It is Great Western Trail with the expansion Race to the North. So, Race to the North is effectively, uh, where's the expansions here? Here we go. Expansions, Rails to the North. It's essentially what kind of, according to my mates, makes this similar to New Zealand. So I thought, okay, fine. I used to hate the first edition of Great Western Trail, and I never played it with the expansion in that version. So I thought, let's do it. Let's give it a fair shot now. Do I think it's improved as a result of second edition and this expansion? It has, actually. Yeah, I think over time, my tastes have just changed in regards to some euro games i've gotten used to the fact that deck building has been shoved in as a shoehorn side thing to a lot of games so that doesn't irk me as much anymore and i think the second edition does improve because i was not that au fait with the first edition on some of the gravity design it's streamlined some of the rule sets so it's not too complicated to play i think the um you know some of the irks like oh yeah you you really want to go to kansas city and lose a bunch of points early game because then it will propel you later on it's like how does that make thematic sense it doesn't make you know it, i always hate it when exploits are in the game like that if you get negative points for something you shouldn't be aiming for it it just doesn't work it's like lahav with debt it's like yeah get loads of debt you shouldn't be aiming for debt that doesn't how it works but i digress so this one effectively opens up a big board above the Great Western uh, Trail thing where when you move your when you do the deliveries it unlocks these train routes that you can send you can put your little houses on and I basically decided you know what this is the similar part to Zealand I munchkined this like crazy I went all over this little map you know I went hard into in fact I didn't really go hard into a particular character I just went to build these as much physically fast as possible so if I show here, you know, you can see there's a lot of red houses on there. That's because I emptied my entire... Actually, red, no, white. Yeah, you can see all the white houses there. I emptied my entire board of white houses. So, uh, yeah, 
I certainly focused quite a bit on that <laughs> and focused on getting my hand size up very early and getting fast movement so that I could do lots of quick deliveries with the sheep that I got from a couple of shepherds. But you'll notice I ain't got many characters there because I literally only bought about three characters in the whole game. I bought two shepherds and one uh, builder or one ticket master. I can't remember, but I think it was one uh, builder. And the idea was is that two of those characters went on Station Harbour ones um, in the middle of the train track to get their bonuses, as you can see. But, yeah, I basically just used, like, you know, crafty sort of, um, uh, what do you call it? Yeah, crafty use of the deck buildy side of it in order to get my hand in a good state. Bought some relatively interesting, like, cows. I've got to remember, it's not sheep, it's cows here. Um, cows early on with the two shepherds I had. But also, they used the variant... Um, the mini expansion which uh, put in calves so you could get a calf um, one which I bought fairly expensive early on and when you take it to delivery it levels up to a level four from a level two and then eventually levels up to a five so I had one or two of those in my deck and they were certainly helping me get some of these uh, higher deliveries until my engine just suddenly went out of control because by the time I put a bunch of these houses down I was getting quite a few nice little bonuses from these various tiles to do well on Certainly my train was moving at a relatively slow pace, so I was losing a little bit of income from the, like, having to deliver, you know, further than my train was. So that lost me a little bit, but I made up for it by being a little bit of a, a little bit of a dick <laughs> and building some uh, like specific tax buildings. So you can't really see too well, I've only got a couple of images, but, you know, there's a couple of buildings here, which are both tax buildings. Guess who they belong to? Me. <laughs> the last time I won New Zealand quite well, I was doing some heavy taxing on my mates. I decided to do the same here. And there weren't that many tax buildings in the game. I think there was only literally a couple. So I built one early on in a bottleneck area where there was like no way we were going to go the other way around. And then I planted one shortly and uh, a little bit later after it. So people had to pay three bucks to me to go past that space. So they were either drained of money at that point, or I got lots of trickle income. And a lot of my other monetary bonuses was coming from the fact that because I was buying so few characters and yet making deliveries, that I was getting money without having to spend it on a ton of stuff. So I was able to uproot a bunch of these hazard tokens, and I was going after bandits as well, so I was getting money from those. That was my income generation, and it was doing really well. I mean, normally I find you have to spam a character in this or get a lot of them. I bought free the entire game. I, I was using other methods, auxiliary actions, to get what I wanted. So my train there could move from auxiliary actions. Um, my card shuffling could. The fact that I could put two... I started off with unlocking my second one of the porthouse. So I could get rid of bad sheep. I could get rid of sheep in my hand, pay a couple of coins, put these houses down, and unlock lots of cool stuff. It really did end up as a really interesting engine that I did. Now, I did enjoy the game. You know, I, I said I think this is an improvement, but a couple of reservations. Firstly, I still don't like the fact that the Great Western Trail 2nd uh, Edition has three characters. Zealand has four. So, at the start of the game, I went last, and out of the characters there, player one buys a, a, a shepherd, um, you know, a cow cowboy. Second player buys one of the uh, train conductors. Third person decides to buy, <clears throat> like, a builder or, like, the other shepherd or something like that. You know, I keep calling them shepherds, but you know what I mean. And so, by the time it gets around to me, all I've got is really expensive builders. 
and I'd already done the building strategy, but it's like, I feel like I've been pigeonholed into a character here because I went last, because there's only three of them to pick from. I think there should be at least four, and that's why New Zealand, I think, does a lot better in that regard. But, that being said, my rating has changed to a seven for this game. It might even might even bump to an eight. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Great Western Trail New Zealand is rated an eight for me at the moment, but... I do think that this is an improvement on the game. I do think the second edition was a good thing for Great Western Trail. And maybe my tastes have just changed enough by then that I've actually grown to appreciate this game a bit more. You know, it is good fun. You know, you can certainly call the victor in certain circumstances, but it doesn't feel as punishing as it did back in first edition. I remember first edition just being really punishing, really constricted, like the easiest strategy was clearly the Cowboys. And to be fair, I think the Cowboys is still probably a better choice out of the three characters in this one. If you were to play without the race to the north one, because the train gets you some stuff, but you know, the train will still be quite pricey. You still got to make deliveries. The building strategy has been improved in second edition for sure, but you've still got to do quite well with it in order to make it work. I mean, in New Zealand, I had to do some serious taxing in order to make that work. But I do think the game itself is still good. This one is also long as well. It took us quite a while to finish the game as a four player because this chart here where you put the tiles on as you refill the bag from the uh, deliveries, certainly takes a while for this to fill up. And I know it's technically one extra tile compared to New Zealand and it's a shorter track, whatever, but I swear New Zealand goes at a quicker pace. We get that done in two, two and a half hours and this one was taking nearly three. It it just feels like it maybe goes on a bit too long because I got to a point where I'd unlocked a ton of the... Yeah, I'd unlocked all my buildings way before the game ended. So, you know, I had to find other stuff to do with the engine. And at that point, I was just trying to uproot as many of these hazard tiles as I could because I was just rolling in the money, not buying characters. So, you know, I do think the game needs to end a little bit quicker. But that being said, I still think it's solid. The other thing with this expansion, though, is that it kind of forces you to do this building stuff. I mean, I focused heavily on it and won considerably i mean i think i've got the score chart here so this is the scoreboard at the end of this this is on hilmar's phone right i uh, like the three scores before mine are 46 54 and 68 i had 132 i absolutely obliterated them <laughs> you know this is a game that apart from the new zealand version i have not played in years and this was going heavily on those i mean look at that 24 points from Hazard Tiles, right? 27 points from City Crests, uh, 8 points from Private Buildings, duh, 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 not much from Dollars, 31 points from Cattle Cards, so I was still able to buy a bunch of those with the two Shepherds that I did have, because I was buying the uh, cheaper ones, although eventually I was earning so much money that I just used the two Cowboys to buy a high-value cow at a high cost, you know, because I didn't really mind. I wasn't paying any tax anywhere, so I was all right. Um... And what else we got there? Fifth and sixth workers. Oh, yeah, I didn't fill them up on my board. I didn't get that. But, yeah, station master tiles, 21. You know, getting extra points for putting, um, you know, hazard tiles out and various other things that you were already doing quite a lot is good. But one of the city crests, the fact that I've got 27 there, <clears throat> there's, a, a, there's a port town on this board where when you put it there, you get three points for every bell you've unlocked. One, two, three, four, and five that you can't see in the picture. That is a 15-point space that you can go on for a delivery of 16 value. Now, 16 is not low, but it's not the highest value you can aim for in this. But 
Man, that was a lucrative spot for me to go on. I mean, that just earns me a ton of points. And so I do worry that with this expansion, you kind of are forced to do quite a bit on this board. Because if you ignore it like a couple of the players did, you really don't score very highly. I mean, even Red, who was, you know, got on it eventually. I think that was Hilmar, actually. Uh, where is he? 68. So, yeah, he did the next best out of everybody. And he's Red. So he's the one actually, you know, utilizing some of this, whereas I started from the get-go. The other two barely did anything on there, and look at their points. You know, they finished with very low scores. So is does Race to the North mean that this board just becomes the be-all or end-all of the game, and so the game just feels a bit one-note at that point? I don't know. That's, that's my worry, which is why I rank this as 7 at the moment and not an 8. But the thing is, I don't think I would want to play this game without the expansion if it was playing this one because i don't know having only three characters and having just the basic mechanics i don't think there's enough variety in the game with you know with free with just this version here it's not to say it would be bad but i just think it would be like well if this strategy is not available and this strategy is not available i kind of have to do this other strategy otherwise i'm screwed and i don't know maybe i just wouldn't enjoy that as much New Zealand, though, is easily the one. I mean, you know, New Zealand is just... I think it was just designed with me in mind. Like, you know, it's like, it's so good, even this guy's going to like it. It's, you know, really interesting, you know, variation of the game. I mean, firstly, sheep are better than cows. <laughs> you know, that's always a thing. But I like in this version that I've got the builders, the, the shepherds, the uh, sailors, and the shearers. So I've got, is it, yeah, shearers, sailors, shepherds, and builders. So four different characters. And these are very distinct strategies you can go for. First game I learned of New Zealand, I went heavy into shepherds. My friend who was teaching me went heavy into sailing. And we both did the polar opposite of each other. And he won by three points. Doing very different things. The, the amount of options you have in this game, I just think are better in New Zealand. Which is why it's the one I've bought. I now need to figure out how I'm going to store the game because the insert in it is garbage. The folded space insert is decent, but it doesn't really help speed setup much. So why do I need the folded space insert? Can I just make do with some tubs and baggies? I don't know. I'll have to see. But first things first, I don't have enough sleeves. Yeah, I don't have enough sleeves to cover it. And I am not playing this game solo until I get some sleeves. So uh, we'll have to wait while I'm in London for those sleeves to arrive. But as I say, pigs may fly. Or sheep, or cows in this case. And certainly my friends were very um, ecstatic to hear that I was into this game so much that I was willing to buy it to put on the shelf. You know, that means the game has to be at least an 8 out of 10 if it's going to be a Euro game I want to put on the shelf. And yeah, New Zealand Great Western Trail is an 8 out of 10. Given that I would have rated the original first edition a 3, maybe even a 2, you know, really was not a fan of it back then. Times have changed and things just, you know, Euro taste change, I've gotten more into some of these types of Euros, or perhaps I'm just more okay with the deck building side of it. Perhaps the fact that this just gives me more options and makes it more open does make it a better game for me. It's not so constricted, because I mean, I do admit, I don't think I want to play the first Great Western Trail on its own. I want the expansion with it, at least. And even then, I would rather play New Zealand. So maybe there is, basically, the designs of New Zealand is what I'm gravitating to. So fair enough. I would play Argentina. I've, n I've no idea what it's like, but all I hear about Argentina is that 99% of Great Western Trail players agree it's the worst of the lot. 
But not to say it's terrible or bad. I don't think I hear many people say that. But they say that it's kind of meh. It's alright. And let's face it, from fanboys of Great Western Trail just saying one of theirs is meh, that might as well be a terrible at that point. But, you know, I would try Argentina if someone put it in front of me and said let's play it. Because I would like to at least try all of them to see what they're like. But for now, New Zealand, well done. Ah, throat was gainer. <clears throat> a little tickly there, sorry. So I think now's a good time to wrap this one up. So yeah, there we go. You know, the uh, the very special game retreat <laughs> with the uh, little uh, pronunciation there. But thank you, Hilmar, for inviting me up there. It was a great time you know the pub quiz you had with the uh, board game stuff which i came second in yeah that was a good laugh um yeah the uh, he did a really funny joke which i quite liked he, he did a round where he put up photos of him with various people and said name the famous person and so he did like you know stefan feld and mark gertz and you know um uh who else ignacy trevor check stephen barnacorn all that lot paul grogan as well but the funny thing was is that when I arrived on the plane, I was still dazed because my ears, um, you know the pressure thing you get when your ears won't pop? Well, I had it really bad on the landing because we went through like a massive rainstorm cloud and my ears swelled up to the point where I almost wanted to cry out in pain. It felt like my head was going to implode because the pressure on my ears hurt and I didn't have any means to stop it. I tried every trick in the book and I couldn't get my ears to pop for at least like till the morning after. I literally could not stop make them pop so my hearing was off. So I was still dazed from this walking out of the terminal and as I walk out of the terminal he's there with his mobile phone to take a picture and it's like okay this is what he does. <clears throat> what he did was at the end of the pub quiz round where he had the famous people he put that picture of me as the other name one and yeah, which I thought was hilarious. And obviously not everybody at the Iceland retreat knew me, but some did. So I was glad that at least half the group actually got the name right. But what was quite funny is that he then put on the thing, some random guy at the airport. So it was just like, it was a good little funny gag. And I said that I would give 10 bonus points if somebody actually did write that. But now nah, that was a good laugh. But no, nah, the, the retreat was great. I mean, you know, got to eat horse steak. Next time I know that there's hot tubs at a lot of ho Iceland hotels, and the next time I'm certainly bringing my uh, swimming shorts. But yeah, I got to eat horse steak. Uh, got to meet lots of friendly people, lots of friends of Hilmar and that. Um, you know, got to meet his fiance and play some really good Euro games, teach some good fun games, uh, drink a lot of soft drinks and a lot of teas. I don't know why Iceland has these really titchy, they use the cup measurement, you know, like Americans have that cup size, the really titchy ones. Man, I was, like, I was constantly refilling from the machine. Why can't you just use a big mug like everyone else? But <laughs> take a rest. That's just me winding them up. But nah, it was great. You know, got to got to eat, drink, be merry with a lot of very friendly people who made me feel very welcome. And I got to teach a lot of cool games and just enjoy some really good fun Euros. So yeah, I mean, you know, is it something that I would say you need to rush out and turn up to? Well, Maybe not necessarily, because obviously you're going for two and a half days, it's a small little retreat, and it's going to Iceland, which obviously means flying to Iceland and saving up a lot to afford anything in Iceland. So it's it's like, I would probably say that if you live in Iceland, go to it. It's a good, fun time. You know, if you live in Iceland, I think it's a no-brainer that you should attend this. But it usually, I think he does it once every February, so by all means, I would try it out. If you are thinking of visiting Iceland, though, 
and you want something else to do while you're in Iceland, then perhaps consider this as an add-on. You know, you could spend a few days in Iceland, you know, seeing like the Blue Lagoon and geysers and stuff like that, maybe going skiing, whatever it is you're in Iceland to do. But if you've got time while you're in Iceland visiting, like you're there for a week, two weeks maybe, and you want a couple of days or at least a day doing some board gaming... Give it, a, give it a shot, you know, it's a nice time and there's a decent board game community in Iceland. I mean, we, we have to try and find every last person we can in the UK to actually find a gamer. You know, it's hard to find gamers in the UK because there's a lot, big population, but not enough gamers. In Iceland, a lot of people there game for the amount of people that live in Iceland. And a lot of that is because, well, if it's snow blizzards and it's dark outside, what else are you going to do? You're going to sit around all day. Well... People sit around or go to each other's houses and play board games. And so it's a bit more popular there than it seems here. But they only have access to so many games. So a lot of stuff is new to them. But it's, yeah, it just makes for a very nice, friendly community. So, uh, yeah, thanks, Ilmar. It'd be nice to come again. Anyway, that's it for me. I'm going to wrap this up so I can get this edited before I... Uh, try to have some fun tonight before I get ready to go to London tomorrow so uh, thanks everybody for listening thank you Hilmar again and be sure to check out the latest top 100 and the, uh, the, the finale of it next week until next time remember as always regardless of how f freezing you are when you go to a different country it's still only a game so take care bye for now love Iceland bye bye